This podcast is powered by Pivotal Moments Media. Check out our education, content, and more at PivotalMomentsMedia.com. Rise Above is a podcast series powered by Pivotal Moments Media that focuses on real people from all walks of life as they tell their story of adversity. Rise Above is defined as not allowing oneself to be hurt or controlled, where we can either sit in the hardships that we experience in life, or we can rise above them. Join us and visit Pivotal Moments to subscribe and follow this journey. And I have a very special guest today, a person I'm proud to call a colleague and a friend, uh, David Holloway. I'll give you some of the cliff notes. I could spend over an hour talking about this guy. Um, he's from New York, and I eventually uh, went to University of Maryland, um, where uh, he walked onto the uh, football team and became captain later on and led that team literally to uh, great successes. He uh, graduated in economics and would have signed with the uh, Arizona Cardinals later on in the in NFL. And this is a guy who's the third generation pro athlete. Uh, and many times as an athlete, you're given when you're born in a situation like that, you're given all sorts of things. He was not through just a number of different challenges and just his true will and desire. He made things happen for himself. And actually, when he migrated, when he signed with the uh, Arizona Cardinals, he actually took him to the Super Bowl, he led him to the Super Bowl against uh, Pittsburgh. He then spent some time in Washington, Cleveland, and Jacksonville, and now he's an entrepreneur, one of the, one of the most outstanding uh, top uh, motivational speakers in the world, uh, just a really, really solid guy. And I would encourage you to go to his website at www.davidholloway.com, and you'll find things like videos, uh, speaking topics, things about him uh, that's really groundbreaking and, and just emotionally moving about, you know, if you're down and out, here's a guy that really did it and could have just laid back and just uh, not done anything and still would have been a success in other areas. But through perseverance and just his passions, he went on and and just succeeded at, at those things. And today I'm going to, we're going to delve into some of those challenges, what keeps him strong. He's shared the stage with U.S. presidents, CEOs, billion, billionaires. He's been on ABC, ESPN, the 700 Club, et cetera. Uh, when you go to this site, you'll see people that really know him. They he haven't just, he hasn't met these people. People like Dan Marino and, um, you know, Bill Russell, Wade, Dwayne Wade, and a number of other really outstanding people out there, uh, President Clinton. So this is, a, this is a person that you would really just love to meet. He's filling stadiums everywhere when he goes to speak. He's traveling millions of miles. He's toured the United States a few times and just, Give a warm welcome to my good friend and colleague, David Holloway. All right, Dr. J, that was a great intro, and I'm happy to be here. And you said you said a lot, and uh, it's an honor to be here. Humbling. Thanks for all the kind words. And we can uh, dive right into it because I want to maximize this time for all those out there listening. Maybe I don't know where I caught you in life. Maybe you're going through something right now. Then uh, maybe I can help you. I've, I've dedicated large part of my life to helping people, uh, giving service, giving value, all the great people and all the things that I've been able to do in my life. I understand it comes from uh, what I like to call giants that came before me. And Jason, I know it's the same truths for you. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. Nothing we could do, nothing I could do. I wouldn't have been able to do it the same way with the same strength if it wasn't for all those greats that came before me. One of my mantras I wake up with every single day is to 
remember all those came before me to give me the opportunity to be here to do that. So I want to dive right in. And thanks again, Jason, uh, for having me on. Yeah. So man, yeah. So you're you're humble. I mean, so I want to kind of get touch into your tap into your journey, you know, from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, how'd you kind of define your identity, basically coming from a professional pre-athletic, pre-athletic uh, family? How, how did you how did you find your own space? Who were your role models and how'd you overcome challenges and the huge expectations that you're born into that you really didn't deserve, but you were born into it and had to overcome those? Yeah, that's one thing my grandfather always told me. He said, look, the expectations are high. And, you know, he said that later on. But when I was a kid, I was surrounded by a lot of the people that you mentioned early on. I was surrounded by what I like to call greatness on the athletic side and the world scene, because my great grandfather, he worked at the presidential cabinet with presidents, been to the White House uh, plenty of times. On my my dad's side, that is, he also was NFL, you know, great, all pro. And then on my mother's side, I have a grandfather who was part of the Big Bad Bruins, uh, Johnny Pye McKenzie. He was one of the original tough guys in the NHL, won two Stanley Cup champions. So I grew up in that environment that so many people are like, oh, you're lucky and cool, which is true. But to me, it was normal. You know, I... Uh, running into the big bad Bruins and Bobby Orr or running into Bo Jackson or Marcus Allen or any any uh, NFL great. The refrigerator Perry came to one of my high school games. These were all family friends. So it wasn't it was different for me in that I looked at them more as friends and family rather than, you know, some people look at as superstars. Um, But then when you when you get into my journey, which um, you think would be an automatic, right? You think that the coaches, the scouts, anybody would say, look at the lineage. How are we not going to produce something that we can use or is going to have some kind of ability, talent, the correct mindset, leadership, all the things that you'd think somebody would think wasn't the case. And when I tell people this, they're shocked, first of all, And I tell them it wasn't just from one person either. We're talking over 850 Division I colleges and over 10,000 scouts. And when I tell people that, they laugh. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you think that's so funny that I got rejected by so many people. Uh, But that was the reality. I had to earn everything. And when you get into the world of athletics, Yeah, they care about that a little bit. But when you come on the field, the ice, the arena, when you step in there, it's just you. And everything that you bring to the table matters. It doesn't matter who your parents are or where you came from. You have to produce. Now, when you asked about the beginning, how did I uh, overcome the struggle? The struggle was nobody thought I was good enough. And I want to jump to this slide real quick. This is what people thought of me. Many people thought I was too small, too slow. As you could see, wasn't that big. You know, my dad was 6'6". My grandfather was this tough guy. And everybody was like, hey, you don't have the size. You don't have your grandfather's toughness or athletic ability. Maybe college 
the next love of athletics just isn't in your future. Maybe you should try something else. At the time, my uncle, who is um, now the president of Rutgers University, he was the dean of Yale at that point. So, and they were like, why don't you go there? Why don't you be, I remember my grandfather telling me, he said, why don't you be the big fish in a small pond rather than a small fish in a big pond? And, you know, so these are people in family also that were telling me, that, hey, maybe the 10,850 are right. Maybe you're just too small and too slow. But the the way I made it through that, and when I got to a point where I was one of the best in the world, if we fast forward uh, three years later, I know I'm going fast here. But when we got to that point later on in the future, people said, well, how did you do it? Where did you come from? How did you overcome all this adversity of getting rejected by so many people, having to walk on to school because nobody thought I was worth the investment of the scholarship. How did you get through those early moments? And I'll tell you, I did feel like quitting. Many, many people asked, I said, hey, did you ever feel like quitting? The answer is yes. And I'll never forget. It was the second day of summer camp. And Jason, I know you're an athlete. You can relate to some of this. And all the athletes out there. And summer camp's the worst time of the year to be an athlete. It, the cameras are off. You're just going through a grind. In football, it's you up at 7, and you don't get to bed until 10, 10.30. And it's football all day. Sometimes you have back-to-back doubles. You got to lift weights. When you take naps, you're so tired, you don't know if it's the next day or not. I mean, it's, it's like a boot camp. We actually had somebody at Maryland who was in, uh, I forget if he was in some military branch. But he said that the summer camp we had at Maryland was way harder than what he had to go through. Um, Just to give you an idea of what that was like. But it was the second day. And I found out when I first got to the University of Maryland, when I walked on there, uh, I went to the depth chart. and It was on this huge whiteboard. And it had your name, position, height, and weight. And I remember that my name was at the very top. And then for a moment, I was like, man, this is unbelievable because when you're at the top you know that's a starter that's the number one spot so i'm like how is this even possible that i'm number one all these people underneath me this maybe it was a big joke right maybe i thought with all the connections in the family there was a big joke at the end of it like haha just kidding people did really want you and i was just confused because i was on the very top But in defense, when I realized when I read the chart a little bit further, on defense, it's flipped. So the starter's on the bottom. So I remember counting back one, two, three, four, five, and we're off the camera. We're up at at the ceiling. We're at level six. I was the 16. But there was a green sticker on it. I'll never forget. It said it was written captain in it. And only the captains had the green sticker. So I was like, well, sheesh, at least maybe they think a little bit of me because of what I came from, all the things I bring to the table. And I found out as I read the chart a little bit further, the only reason that green sticker captain was on there was because I was the only one on the 16. Wow. Wow. Only guys. So what does that mean? What does that mean when I get out to practice? You ain't getting in because there is no 16. So if they called 16 run out in the field, you're looking at the whole team right here, baby. Wow. 
the only guy that would have ran out there. So this is the second day of being 16, not being able to get into practice. You know, I just tell people, you know, people laugh at people and tease people. Oh, you're a bench warmer you know, during the game. I was a bench warmer during practice. So that's where I was. And on the second day of sitting in the Maryland sun, and anybody knows the humidity and the heat that, that, that happens in the summertime there, I was just baking on the field. And I just watched all day. And then we went in to shower. We had the luxury of watching film of that day from two different angles. So I'm sitting there watching myself watch practice. And it was the end of the second day. I remember I looked up in the sky and um, I looked up in the sky and I said, what am I doing here? What that bleep am I even doing here? I don't know. Can we curse on here? Is this a, a cursing? <laughs> I don't want to. It's PG. I don't want to curse. Can we curse, Jason? What's what's the deal? Are we cursing on this? Uh, we promise to keep it PG for now. <laughs> keep it PG. Okay. Everybody, I think everybody knows what I was saying when I looked up in the sky. I was wondering what I'm doing there because I didn't even get into practice. So how am I going to show anybody anything if I can't even get into practice? And on top of that, I go upstairs and watch it. Miserable. So, and then after that, what made it even worse was I after we watched film, we were going to eat. And I remember a brand new dining hall was just built. And I'll show you what it looks like. Um, here's the University of Maryland. This is how many people believed in me when I first started off. You look in the stands, nobody. I was given number 36. Two other players had the exact same number. So I was a triple loser. I was getting laughed at. This is, the first, this is all in the first couple hours at the University of Maryland, if you could believe that. You can tell by the look on my face, wasn't too happy. This is the dining hall. And in the dining hall is brand new million dollar dining hall designed to attract best in the world. David, you know, I go up to get food just for the football team. So it was, it was everything you could think of buffet style. I was hungry. You know, even though you, know, you burn a lot of calories just sitting out there doing nothing in the sun. So I was hungry. I went in, a lady came in front of me, picked up a list and stopped me before I got my trace. Said, what's your name? She looked on the list. It was a list looked just like this. And she was flipping it. I told her the H, you know, Holloway's my name. She looks, looks for the H's, says I'm not on the list. I said, well, it's H-O, not H-A. She looks again at her list, looks back at me and says, no, I'll never forget the look on her face. She says, you're not on the list. And if you're not on the list, then you can't eat here. Yeah. And just a little bit of a lead up. It was almost a celebration for this building to get open. There was a buzz in the air. Now I'm hearing these words, you can't eat here. And it, and it was kind of echoing in my head. And I remember I, I went to like a daze almost, almost like a shock daze. I don't know how to explain it, where I kind of stepped to the side you know, other people were were walking by me and checking in and, you know, they were happy. It was a celebration of flat screen TVs. I mean, it was it was a celebration for this new building. And I remember all these kind of emotions hitting me at once. And I was thinking, you know, maybe 
the 850 were right. Maybe the 10,000 were right. Maybe I should have. Maybe there's a big mistake. I'm getting laughed at. I'm on the 16. I can't eat here. So I'm wondering, am I even here? Am I, am I on the team? I mean, I, I took the team picture and got laughed at because I was one of the three 36s. And now I'm in the, the facility, the football facility, and they're telling me I can't eat. Can't eat with the team. So I remember when I came back to us, I looked at it and I said, well, where do I go? And what do I do? You know, I'm hungry. I want to get something to eat. And she, she looked at me and said, I don't know, but you can't eat here. That was the end of it. And I remember I walked out these doors and I walked out on the campus and we're, we're at the university of Maryland, public university. We're talking over 25,000 students. So I went out and asked the regular students and said, Hey, where can I get something to eat? They told me South Canaan's campus dining hall, 15-minute walk, so I had to run because we had to be back at the complex in an hour for a team meeting. Ran there. You can imagine the lines once you got in there. Super long line to get in, super long line to get any of the good foods. So guess what I had to do? I had to go to the lines where it was the shortest, which usually meant you're getting something nasty. You're getting some you know, dry sandwich, something nobody really wanted. Obviously, there's no line for it. Then there's the line to check out. I realized, looked at the time, I was like, you know, I'm not going to have enough time to even eat. So I've got to figure something out. So I, I started eating while in line. And, you know, the white tray opened up, started eating in line as I was getting closer to, to pay for it. This, this is a crazy thing, too, for all the listeners out there. I was paying for this. Not cheap, either. I was paying a lot of money to do this. So I have my tray, I'm, get, I'm eating it. Another lunch lady comes up to me and starts yelling at me. You know, I, you know in front of people where there's tons of people around, it's almost like a scene a little bit where she's yelling at me, you can't eat until you pay for it. And I remember I tried to explain to her, like, look, I'm on the football team. And she, she cut me off and she told me that, don't you know the football team has their own dining facility? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I know that. Thank you. And uh, thanks for laughing, too. <laughs> and then she says, she kind of looks me up and down, you know, gives me the old one, two. And she says, I've seen football players before. And you're not one of them, definitely not one of them. Too small, too slow. And there was a kind of group of people, I remember, just kind of laughing at me. So I'm like, this this day, this first couple hours were pretty epic of, you know, first the roller coaster emotion of getting there, actually getting to University of Maryland saying, hey, I'm taking the next step into my dream, into my vision. Super high note. And as the day went on, you know, laughed at 16, captain, can't get into practice, can't even eat. You know, I'm underneath. I tell people I felt like I was underneath. I had to reach up to touch the basement floor. That's how low I was feeling in that moment. Back to the story. Close my tray. I'm walking out. Look to my watch. I got about 15 minutes to eat and get back. No other choice but to shove my styrofoam drink in my pocket and run and eat on the way back to the complex. And it was ugly. I mean, I had to use my shirt as a napkin. My the, the the I usually got water. And by the end of it, you could almost hear me coming as I got closer because the water would spill all over my shorts and my 
you know, shoes or, or, or sandals, what I was wearing. And you could hear the like, whoosh, whoosh, as I was coming, because, you know, that's how fast I had to get back. Because if you're late for a team meeting, I mean, you're in serious trouble. And in my case, you know, I wasn't given three strikes. I knew from how they're treating me, if I even got half a strike, then I was gone. You know, the little bit of me that was on the team, you know, I was out of there. So, and I tell people this, um, you know, people is like, that, you know, wow, you're so vulnerable. You, you're telling this story that for a lot of people is hard to tell. But I realized through, you know, speaking for over a decade and being able to truly connect when it, I really want people to connect and open up and learn about my teaching and some of the value, you know, I have to offer. Some of the things you guys can take away, pragmatic things are going to help, you know, you, whether you're just starting off, whether you're crushing it, you're at the top of the mountain, for you and the audience to be open to that. You have to know a little bit about me, what makes me tick, where I come from, who I stand on, my foundation, and more importantly, the journey of the struggle. That, that's what people want to know about in your story. They want to know, how can I relate to you? And even if you're not an athlete, this story uh, touches home for a lot of people because they can see the struggle in it. And there's looking back, there's a beauty in that. I wouldn't be where I am, I wouldn't be here with you guys today if it wasn't for that. And when you're in it, it's hard to see and it's not fun. And if you ask me then, you know, David, how do you feel <laughs> on day one? Well, if you asked me on day one or two, I said, well, I'm, I don't know much about how I feel. But I can tell you, I'm probably going to quit in the next couple of days if it keeps going like it's going, because this is this isn't fun. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to run. I didn't sign up to get laughed at. College is supposed to be fun. We're supposed to be having a good time. This is supposed to be, you know, some of the best years of your life. And if it's like this, then I'm, I'm throwing in the towel, man. This is, this, and this is just, keep in mind, this is just the first couple hours of day one. Um, and we'd be all, we'd be here all day. Cause I got, you know, years of stories, you know, me not being invited into certain ceremonies of the team. I mean, it goes on and on. But what I want to share with you, what I share with audiences now all over the world, is one of my number one secrets, and I think uh, is simple, so simple it's kind of elusive. But I tell people a lot of times the most powerful things have the most simple appearance. And a lot of times it's not really what we don't know. It's what we do know. People have heard of this. It's biblical even when you talk about a vision, which is my number one secret. Um, and I'll get a little bit into that. In the, in the Bible, and I'm not too religious, but even in those texts, it says, without a vision, thou people shall perish. And I remember looking that up. I was like, you know, perish, I kind of get an idea of what that means. But it really means to fade and wither away. That's what it means. So it, essentially it's saying if you don't have a vision to your future, to your promised land, you can be in a very dangerous place, which I've been plenty of times in my life and in different areas of my life where I was doing just that. I was perishing. I was fading away. 
I was, and the analogy I like to use when I'm talking to people is you're either, to me, you're either in the field of life where the lights are on, you're playing the game, you're living the vision, or you're in the stands of life, watching it all played out. Life handed you your ticket to the stands. Because if you don't craft the vision for your life, you don't have a target, life's going to do it for you. And you're not going to like it. You're in those kind of texts, you're going to start to perish. And when I tell people my secret, when I say my number one secret is properly crafting a great vision, a vision to your bigger future, people write it off. I, I was amazed when you get back to my story, when you go to, you know, running from this dining hall every single day to now here I am, you know, three years later, one of the best in the world and reporters are asking me, they're saying, David, how did you do it? Where did you come from? And I always, where did you come from? Is pretty funny because first of all, nobody would have seen me coming because I didn't even get into practice. So unless you were watching people watch you, that's the only way you would have saw where I was coming from. But how did you do it? I had a vision of my bigger future. I had, when I walked on to University of Maryland, we go back here. I walked the field all by myself, nobody there. And I just envisioned everything I wanted to do to accomplish, to do things in Maryland's history that I've never done before. So it wasn't just my goals. I was going to look, I'm going to not only going to play here. And if you ask me back when I was running with my food after day two, after I thought about quitting, when I got reminded of my vision, what are you doing here? You're not getting into practice. You're getting laughed at. Why even bother? Why continue? Now, I would have looked you straight in the eye and I would have said, not only am I going to play here, but I'm going to be one of the very best that has ever done it. And I wouldn't have blamed. Why? Because of the vision of greatness. And when you have one properly crafted, it will literally pull you through the adversity. And to give people a little perspective, Let's talk about the alternative here. With a vision, I was able to see a bigger future. I was able to see what was inevitably coming my way if I kept working at it, no matter what I was going through in the short term. So, I, you know, I, a little bit of meta perspective, if you will, as I'm looking forward into the future. If I didn't do that and I shrunk down to my day to day, getting and all I had to go on was, you know, I am going through all this stuff and there's no payoff after this. There's no reward. There's no, you know, me helping, you know, Maryland do things they never did before. There's no value created out of this. I'm just going to go through all this for nothing. I, I don't have, you know, I have a blurry vision or no vision at all. At that point, you're in the stands. And all you could do at that point is just watch. But with the vision, being on the field, taking the lumps that is inevitably going to come. When I had my vision, all the adversity that seemed like mountains, all of a sudden started, started to shrink a little bit as my vision began clearer and clearer. And I was continuing to put in the work to do that. Now, yes, a lot of it was physical work because I, I, I was too small and too slow. You know, I came in as a linebacker, you got to be back then, it's different today, 
back then you had to be probably between 240 and let's say 280, 275. Like that's that's standard weight, you know, just physics of football. If you're not that weight, you're going to get tossed around. So when I first came into University of Maryland, and it's embarrassing to say this even now, I weighed, when I got on the scale, I was 187. And almost 100 pounds less than I should have been. And there's a whole funny story about when I, you know, when we first got in there, uh, you have to get weighed as part of, you know, when you first get to summer camp. And I remember I was so scared to get weighed because I already got laughed at a couple of times. I had this crazy thought in my head, like, how do I gain at least 20 pounds so I can get to like 207 in like five minutes? And all I could think of was water and water weight. So I started drinking as much water as I could. I mean, the story gets ridiculous. I put on every layer of clothes that the equipment people had. And I remember (laughs) this story gets so ridiculous. I remember running back to, you know, the weight room where we were getting weighed and falling because of all the water I was putting everywhere. But it got my clothes damp. And I was like, that's it. That's a, that's another way I could gain more weight if my clothes are, are damn. So I remember started like taking my clothes and putting them in the sink and, and trying to get them as wet as they could without having them drip. I mean, it was ugly. I did all that and more that I'm still embarrassed to talk about. And I still get on the scale. I think I weighed 193 or four. It only, only added like five or six pounds and still uh, was an embarrassment. So uh, I got a little off track on that story. There's so many stories in that first couple hours. It's ridiculous. The whole, the whole book I could write is on the first couple hours. But getting back to how I share that, the vision is what carried me through all that. And it's the message, my number one message to greatness, my number one message to succeeding. Um, you know, because we're talking vision, we're talking clarity, we're talking um blinders up you're talking a filter for all the distractions that come at you during the day and the week and the month when you've got a clear vision of greatness getting up early and working out before everybody is no big deal you getting laughed at when you know something better is coming in the future is not that big of a deal you having to run with your food yeah it's embarrassing yeah you're probably not going to get many girls your freshman year but you have a vision of greatness that carries you past all that And it will continue to. And one of the biggest success traps of highly successful people, when I go and talk to the CEOs or the the um, you know the C-suite, the executives, one of the biggest things that they're forgetting to do is to remind themselves to spend time with not only their vision but the team's vision. And when I get people give people those powerful reminders, it resets them in their foundation, and now they're less distracted. They're more clear and they're now getting pulled by the vision, pulled through the adversity rather than going through the emotions of the day. And that makes, you know, what your business is about different, that, you know, what you wake up is different. You, you, you sleep better when you, when you have this. Some of the best sleep I've ever gotten was in this year where I was still getting laughed at, but my vision was so clear and real that I could close my eyes and smell the environment. I could hear the noises. 
I can see everything that was going on. I could, you know, even mentally going through that, I knew what I would have to do in certain situations to make it past that. And that was the reason I was able to just leap and catapult over so many different people because of my vision. I would not be here if it wasn't for that. And people say, okay, you know, that's a little, you know, uh, big, you know, how's that going to help me in the next seven days? If I'm going through this, how's it going to help me tomorrow? And I tell people, you want one pragmatic step. You get nothing else from what I talk about today. If you can take five minutes, that's 300 seconds, put it in your calendar. And you, during some part of the week, you sit down and with a pen and pad, 300 seconds, you go over what you want for your future in any area of your life, personally, professionally. If you sit down and do that, I promise you that your vision is going to get clear and you're going to be less distracted. If you just do that one small thing, can you build on that? Can you spend more time there? Absolutely. But I know as a teacher, you got to give people the easiest first step. Easy first step, put in your calendar 300 seconds for vision time of wherever area in your life you feel like you need a little bit more clarity on or you want to accelerate towards even faster. And it's something that, you know, it's going to feel a little weird at first, maybe. You haven't done this. A lot of times we get older, we lose that connection. You know, because when you're younger, people, what are you doing when you grow up? How are you doing? How are you progressing? But once you get to a certain level, that connection in life just starts, you know, there becomes a little bit of a void there. So what's part of my job here on this planet is to reconnect you with that and give you those powerful reminders so you can live uh, a life you deserve. You can get back you know, off the stands of life, trading that ticket, get back on the field. And it doesn't matter where you're at in life. And I'm not saying it like I have it all together either. I, there's plenty of moments of my life where I can't get back that I was sitting and watching from the stands. And I know everybody knows this too. We only get one shot here. And the time is ticking. We are not, you know, this isn't practice session. We are full participants. And it's up to us. And I love that truth about life. It's up to us whether or not we want to craft that vision for the bigger future or if we want to sit in the stands. And I know some people are going to say, well, what about when you reach your vision, you know, celebrating? Yes, that's all good. But continuously, you've got to be crafting, reconnecting with a vision of your bigger future. Because once you get to one and stop, that's the success trap. Because I know, Jason, I know you've been there and I know many of you listening too. You get to a certain place where you, you know, it was your big goal, your big vision, and then the dangerous question creeps in your head. And that question, I know everybody knows this or said it before, at some point in their life is, the question is, is this it? Yeah. Is this all there is? Is this what all the things that I've been sacrificing and put in, is this it? And it happened to me when I got to um, the next level, when I got to Arizona. And, you know, here we were 
you know, a bad team, turned it around into a Super Bowl team. You know, we didn't win. Um, you know, got beat by Pittsburgh. And that next year, I remember coming back and being like, is this it? And in that moment, I knew I was in the stands in that part of my life. And I had to get, reconnect with the vision. I started setting all kinds of other goals, you know, personally. Because all I had was professional goals. So I had learning goals I set. I had, um, you know, I wanted to learn a different language. I wanted to learn how to play the keyboard. Uh, so many different things I was neglecting. I wanted to read more. Uh, because I didn't have visions in those areas of my life. And what I want to do right now, you know, I went on for a bit. I want to share a quick video with everybody of how that kind of turned out. Um, when the vision kind of came to fruition. So I walked on to the University of Maryland with no scholarship, armed with dreams, hopes, and a true vision. And that's all I have. And I walked out of there, I'm here to tell you, as one of the greatest of all times on the field, and more importantly to me, one of the hardest workers in it. Holloway 54. He just overpowers every time we do a game. Holloway has a dominant performance. Guess who? Holloway. But this is a player, man. You talked about David Holloway. Walk on. Just gets better all the time. Intercepted by David Holloway. Big play, of course. The block punt by David Holloway. I don't care how high you recruited her. How big you are, bench yourself. Some guys just have this. David Holloway's that guy. There's got to be a burning desire within that keeps you up late at night and wakes you up early in the morning that keeps you going every day. And when hard work is ahead, you look at that and you look at it and say, man, this is going to be fun and this is going to be easy. All because of the vision I have within it. Once I started doing well, they said, man, you went from being a nobody to somebody. But what I discovered is that if you have a strong enough bitch, 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 you will never be denied. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop that. Which is my number one key to greatness. And my number one question anybody who wants to achieve is simple. What is your vision? How strong is it? All right, not bad for six team and you know rejected by you know over ten thousand, right? Not not not, not that's, too bad. That's uh, that's super exciting. You know what I'm hearing a lot of um, is more mental toughness versus physical toughness, and how Absolutely. you. I mean, you're you have just just the depth of your mental toughness are incredible. And you know, they, they, they write about mental toughness as you know, it's resilience and it's and it's really a predictor of success in sports, education, and the workplace. And you've achieved all those things despite, you know, some people might go, you know, David still comes from this, he's a third generation pro athlete. They're probably in his head, he had the genetics, they really didn't have to work. But just your story, you didn't with all that came to your plate, it seems like you just swallowed it and you just put your head down and push forward but to other people that don't have necessarily that backing and they're like you know what maybe maybe i i didn't i didn't grow up around sports maybe 
maybe he heard that. Maybe he still has some advantages that I don't have. And so they're encountering, again, those places we go that maybe they don't think we've, we've been. What What do you say to those listeners that are listening and they're like, you know, yeah, that's great. But still, I, I, I still don't have what he had. That's that's a great question. I get that often. And some people do that. Even, you know, after I show the video, I talk about my struggles and all that. Some people still say, well, it's because of this. And I remember one of my mentors would always, one of his mantras was no excuses. And it didn't matter what was going on. It's a powerful way to take control of your personal power when you live by that no excuses. But one of the things that I invite people to do, and here's where I learned it. I learned this because the higher up you go in any profession, uh, the higher up you go, if you want a great quality of life, mentally is the key. You versus you is the opponent. And when you can have such a great inner dialogue, when you can have your mindset working for you instead of working against you all the time, you become a really powerful person. You almost, you almost can feel it when somebody walks in the room and they have that kind of mental capacity. You know, the, the way they walk and carry themselves a little bit different. When you have supreme confidence in not only, it's really both your abilities and then how you're going to perform no matter what the case is. And when you get to the highest level of athletics, you have to do that. But if you're, you know, if you're not involved in sports, you're in business, you're an entrepreneur, you, you work for somebody else, no matter what it is you're chasing in life or you're going after, one of the mantras I invite you to adopt is no excuses. So, you know, I know that's hard coaching and it's, it's, it's easy to say no excuses. But one of the mental tricks I want to leave you with and share you, with you is something I learned and I invite you to look this guy up. His name is Sean Stevenson. He is a, a mentor. He was a mentor of mine. He passed a couple of years ago. Called himself the three-foot giant. And he had a condition where he was in a wheelchair. He only grew to three feet tall. Some of you may have heard of him. If you haven't, really encourage you to look him up. Sean Stevenson. Um, when I was in the stands of life, I knew at that point that I need to seek somebody to help me out. I needed to seek a mentor. So that's another thing I invite everybody out there to do. I love, I'm very curious. I love to learn and I understand how mentors in my life are only going to help me. It's not a bad thing or looked at like a weakness. If I come to you and say, could you help me in this area? Or what's your advice in this area? If you're seeking that out, I think on the flip side, if you're not seeking that out, then that's an area of your life you can improve on. Whether that's reading the books, watching the video, uh, cold calling, emailing, whatever it is, I feel like you should, at any age, you should always have mentors in your life. Sean Stevenson, he told me when I was in Arizona, when I said, is this it? A dangerous question. When I didn't have a vision of my promised land to the bigger future, when I felt like it was a plateau and I was in the stands, he said, if you want to reach the next level, I'll give you a trick that helped me. And he said, one of the things you have to do is start taking control of your inner dialogue. And one of the easiest and best ways to do that is to start treating yourself like a best friend. Mm. And he said, you know that little voice that you have in your head? 
and like listeners here, when I say that to the audience, everybody goes, what little voice is he talking about? And they say it internally. Is that that's the inner, the inner voice saying, you know, that voice that just said, what little voice are you talking about? That's the one we're talking about. That little voice that's inside your head, that's talking to you all day long, that lives with you, that gives you that self-doubt, which is natural. Part of the human condition is the voice you've got to take care of. And if you start being aware of that, it's going to help you tremendously. Just being aware of that's going to help you. When he told me that, and I was aware of the inner dialogue and what it was saying to me, I was like, man. I say some nasty stuff to myself. I'm I'm really hard on myself in certain situations where if I was talking to a friend or someone was giving advice to, it would be almost the complete opposite. And I remember he asked, he was like, if you talk to your friends or other people on the street, like you talk to yourself sometimes, you probably wouldn't have too many friends with you. And I was like, you know, you're absolutely right. And just being aware of that was a game changer for me. So if you're having little doubts or struggling with the internal dialogue, you're coming up with excuses or you're saying, well, this person has this, I don't have that. First of all, there is no excuse. So just clear that out. The second thing is, no, that's normal. Even I, to this day, you're going to have self-doubt. But just like, and this is what Sean told me, is like just like taking showers every day, hopefully take showers every day or every other day. Like you clean your body, you've got to do the same with your mind. So he had these mantras in place. He had this awareness in place to kind of shift the scale from negativity to positivity to try to shift that back to not only balance, but where it's the opposite. To where he was, he would mock his doubt. He would say, you know, if I'm going in the situation, bring it on, doubt. You know, I'm right here and I'm ready for you. Any doubt that comes in. I'm going to destroy that early on. And he became such a master at that. But that's what I would tell people who want a pragmatic step. No excuses. Start treating yourself like a best friend. We all know how we would give advice to our children, to our family, to our best friends. Start giving that internal advice to yourself and your personal power, your confidence. I mean, for me, it was a game changer. I I began to walk with such a different mindset and a different awareness of how I was talking to myself. My confidence and my ability and my overall quality of life just became so much better from those two things alone. I'll tell you the mental calisthenics of all this. It's it's wonderful, you know, and I I, I could only echo what you're saying. You know, kind of maybe when you talked about um, the best friend, well, that's that's something, you know, I think um, it was Eric Thomas that made a comment. He said, you know, if you don't do something, you do it incorrectly. You owe yourself an explanation. Why did you only get 50 percent? And I mean, that's just I think you just hit the nail right on it. And people need to be accountable for those things. They need to have the confidence and control and take control of their lives and stop giving giving excuses. I do have a question. Though. What, did, what uh, did you meet up with that cafeteria lady again? <laughs> now that you're in the cafeteria. <laughs> Listen, I I did not meet that year. I ran into her a couple other times when I was trying to like uh, sneak in or have someone like 
I, I did a couple of times have someone try to sneak like a trail center to do that stupid run. You know, I don't know, maybe it was raining or something. I was snowing something. It's like, look, I don't want to do the run today. Let me try to get in there. Um, after that year, after I got my scholarship, I don't remember seeing her again. Um, but, you know, she it wasn't really. It wasn't really me versus a her thing. It was funny. I went back to the University of Maryland about a month ago, and they have a their facility now is amazing. I think it's like a $120 million facility. So this is the best of the best. And I remember going up there and just looking in there and just remembering uh, two thoughts came to mind. One, I'm glad that this wasn't around when I was here because I really would have felt bad. <laughs> leaving this kind of facility when it's, you know, a hundred times better than it was before. Um, that really would have been embarrassing and a longer run. Um, the other thing I thought of was, you know, what a, what a, what a strange, you know, nugget to have as a part of the journey, just being able to eat with the team, you know, cause I remember getting kicked out of there and trying to sneak in another time and just, you know, them denying me. So it, it is a place where I have like mixed emotions almost of, uh, you know, remembering when I couldn't and, you know, when I finally could do that, did get a scholarship, did become one of the best in the world. Um, you know, being able to enjoy that and knowing that a lot of the other players, they would have no idea unless they were a walk-on and had to go through that. I got kicked out of there. They had the luxury of just, you know, not getting rejected and having to do some ridiculous run. Um, so mixed emotions when I go back. So we, you go from that to now the NFL, you're jumping over opponents to sack the quarterback. I mean, that's unbelievable. I haven't seen that. I might have seen that once in the last five years from anybody else in the NFL. And, you know. There you go. Yeah, that's that's I mean, that's incredible. Right. That's just incredible. At the end of the day, do you ever have any, you know, feelings towards those that passed over and then they started looking back at you thinking, geez, how did we miss that? And you're like, yeah, you did. You did miss that. <laughs> or do you think it was through your mental toughness that drove also your physical resilience to get where you needed to be to get there? Yeah, I'm um somebody who. I'm not very good at forgetting right away, uh, more so than uh, as I've matured and grown, I'm much more faster when it comes to forgiving. Back then at 18, you know, I didn't really have that mental capacity of somebody telling me that I suck or that I'm not good enough or this is what we think of you or even worse, when that year went on, and I, you know, was still not getting into practice, people began to walk right by me. And to the point where I was like wondering, you know, I felt like invisible. I felt like a ghost. It was, <laughs> I'm not kidding. When I, I remember walking by people and coaches and thinking, do they even see that I'm here? And that is a scary feeling um, when you're part of something. I almost prefer getting laughed at and people talking to me and saying, you know, I remember one coach telling me to go back to Buffalo, which I wasn't even from. I've never even been to Buffalo. I've been to Buffalo. I don't even think at that point I've ever even been there. 
but he screamed at me, you know, to go back to Buffalo. I almost preferred that over nothing because now I'm getting walked by like I'm not even there, which is invisible. So that was scary. But I'll tell you what, back then, I remember some advice people were giving me, oh, you know, don't listen to the noise. And people even today don't listen to the haters. Forget the people that do this or pass you up. I can't forget that. I was looking right at them and they were looking right at me when they said that. When they told me, I remember one of my teammates' uh, dads in high school telling me I was not good enough, uh, you're too small, right to my face. I didn't forget that. And I can't just erase that from my memory. I was like, you know what? No, I remember that. And I I teach people, I I develop this kind of on my own. And it's a simple technique, an analogy I use, I call it throw it in the bag. And what that means is all the negative press, all the people telling you you can't, you suck, you're not good enough, 10,000. The pe- I, I, I tell people to remember that. Remember the tone in their voice. Remember the look in their eye when they're saying that to you. And take that energy, put it in the invisible bag, tie it shut, and then carry that with you. Not as a burden, but whenever you need an extra push, whenever you feel like the lazy impulses of the day are starting to, you know, get in your ear, you know, David, take a break, or you don't have to get up early and work out twice tomorrow, you're still sore, or the excuses start going off. Whenever that started happening, or I was working out or lifting weights when I was so far behind, I was like, this is a moment where I can use that bag, open it up remember all of that stuff and get it extra. It's like an energy boost. You know, you play video games, you hit that little E nitro and get that little extra energy boost. Or you Mario, you eat the mushroom. It's an extra boost in using that energy when you need it. So many people are scared to talk about the negative, what I call the dark energy, the energy that really just pisses you off or, or it's a day that a lot of people have had in their life where you know they hit the table And they say, this is it. Never again in my life am I going to accept this, period. And that becomes the day they finally cut, you know, the ropes off the bridge and they made a decision and they ain't turning back. They'll never accept that again. And when you've made that decision, when you can use that energy when you want it, because look, if I was at the University of Maryland and I carried all that with me every single day, I'd be one of the most miserable people in the United States, <laughs> definitely at the university campus, University of Maryland. I mean, who wants to go and get laughed at every day? I mean, I got laughed at almost every day. Every time there was a way in, David got laughed every single time. And they still, some of my teammates still bring that up to me today. <laughs> you know, about that. And it was a traumatic experience. You don't want to be, you know, getting laughed at for being too small as an 18-year-old in football when you're a linebacker. You're supposed to be a leader and one of the tough guys on the team. You do not want to. That goes against everything in your DNA at that point. But if I didn't develop some of these little techniques, again, mental techniques that I still use to this day, if I didn't develop that, then I would have quit on the second day. And again, why did I, you know, remind myself like, hey, I can't be using all this energy. I've got to use it 
to benefit me because I'm so far behind. I mean, 100 pounds behind was just the weight. I, I was so far behind that I couldn't afford to not use every bit of energy that I could. So I developed that technique of throwing it in the back. Uh, just forgetting about it, especially when you're living it every day, didn't work for me. And it doesn't work for me now. When people pass me up, throw it in the bag, use that in my preparation at some point to drive myself to get even better. Uh, and I think if you're not using that dark energy, that might be an area where you might be able to explore to give you that energy boost. Um, because when I go around and speak to people, I talk about peak performance. If you're not using some form of dark energy, whether that's anger, disgust, um, you know, motivation from people telling you can, or you're not good enough, you're not using some form of that, then you're not operating to me at a peak performance level, at the highest of the highest of the high. If you ask anybody who's a major success, and Jason, I know you know this, when you were operating at the highest level, or in order for you to get there, there were moments that motivated you that come from the dark energy. So that's what I'd say to people going through that. Use that technique. It might, again, sound a little silly, but when you're operating at peak performance, your energy matters. And the way you could take best control of that is, again, inner dialogue, your foundation of where you come from and spending time on your vision. So let me ask you, so so because uh, there are many, many, many people listening to this, this broadcast, someone that's maybe not happy with their height, not happy with their weight, maybe they're struggling with nutrition, uh, they have depression, anxiety, and gone through some mental issues. You talk about the calisthenics of sitting down and writing with that pen and a, and a pad. What is there a hierarchy of, of, of certain things they should start off with first? Or if they have like they're just trying to brainstorm, what, what would be some key things that you would just kind of in a, in a chart, if you will, or I should just write some, anything down? It may not make sense. Maybe you throw it away after five minutes, but something that would get them going. Or if they write something, they throw it away and they're like, I'm just going to give up. I don't like that technique. How do you keep them in the game and just, just continue writing and going through those those calisthenics of writing it down, just that, just building that mental toughness for, for someone that's out there uh, listening? Okay, so that's a good question. I would break it kind of into two parts. And the first part, I would say, is in the beginning, you just got to get going. You just gotta schedule that and treat it as a block time. And when I mean block time, I mean treat it like a doctor's appointment. Put it in there and treat it that serious where this is something that has gotta get done in my day. That's the first part, that's the hardest. Step one is usually the hardest for people to do. But again, that's one of the reasons why so many people aren't climbing or aren't on the fields of life because they know what to do. They just don't want to put in the work or they know what to do. Or they don't know the benefits that is not only going to help them, but everybody's surrounding them. So first I would just say, get going, sit down for those 300 and whatever comes to your mind, write it down. And you'll find yourself through that process, pinpointing some things or seeing a reoccurring theme in this part of your life. 
if it's your height or your weight, I mean, you can't do anything about height, but if it's your weight and, you know, your, your health routine and you find yourself writing different categories on that over and over again, you know, that's a, an area that you want to explore, or maybe you want to start with there. If it's the relationship side, maybe it's there. You'll find a theme and a rhythm as you start adding this into your calendar, you know, and doing it every week. And everybody, I don't care who you are or how much time you think you don't have, everybody has 300 seconds that they can use. And it's it's a great, it's one of the most important decisions of your life that you can make. That's how important this investment is. And I know I sound kind of harsh when I say that, but I want, part of my job here too, is to challenge people that haven't made that decision yet that are on the edge of that, where coming up with the little excuses or that's great that he said that, you know, I've heard that, I've tried that before, but my question to you is, are you doing it now? Because there's been points in my life where I forgot to do that or nobody reminded me of that. Part of peak performance in life is just getting reminders of to do what you already know, what you already know, or that you've done before. Need the reminders. That's part of my job. So I would say just get going. And you'll find yourself naturally writing things down that kind of are leading you in the direction. And one of the things that Sean Stevenson also talked about that'll help during this process is when you sit down, try to move what he called from the headspace down to the heart space. And for men, especially, it's a hard place to go sometimes. Uh, for me, too, in the beginning, it was very hard because it's, you know, analytical. Tell me the steps. What's the strategy? What, you know, tell me the one, two, and three and how to get there. Sometimes you just need to sit alone with yourself in that block space, take a couple deep breaths, drop down into the heart zone, and really ask yourself, what is it that you want? Really, what is it that you want for this part of your life without any of the outside noise? If I could come to you and say, this is a part of life where if you spend enough time on it, guaranteed you're not going to fail in it. What are the things that you really want at this point? Because so many people, when you go out on the street, and you ask them, if you walk up to people and say, hey, what's your vision of the bigger future? What's your vision? Tell me about your promise land. What do you want in this area of life? Most people will look at you kind of crazy and they'll say, well, I don't know. And that's it. I've, <laughs> he said, if you walk up to people and ask them, what's your vision? Their response, more than likely, is going to be just that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really know. If you don't know, you don't have a target. You're in the stands. And that's where I come in. That's where I come in to challenge you to get back on the field of life and not in the stands. It's a really, really important thing to do to take that 300 seconds. Sometimes the second step can't really be clearly seen until you've taken that first one. And I think this is a case to do that. Because if I don't want to tell people focus on this first because that kind of blocks some of their made of maybe creative ways or if they're in there, if they get to sink down in their heart space with no distraction and they really sit there for a while 
your heart's going to tell you what direction you want to go to. And this reminds me of somebody asked Helen Keller, great Helen Keller. Um, it must be tough to be, they didn't ask you, they just said, you know, it must be tough to be blind. And she said, well, it would be if I had no vision. Because real vision you see with your heart. And I know that's a little deep. I know it's a little sentimental. You, you, it might take you a while to get there. It, it did for me at least. But once you get there, that's where you want. That's what you want to start listening to. That's that's the advice I would give people uh, just starting off. And you'll find your way. You know, I, I talk about you know by guess um, tenets of. Um, embracing adversity and trying to get over it. You know, I talk about surrounding yourself with good people, you know, invest in yourself, um, read or write something every day and be accountable. But it sounds like you were alone. And so from my own information, like, how did you, how did you get past that? Because I think surrounding yourself with good people is, is pretty important, but you, but you had it within your own mental toughness to, to not even, you, you just, you just forced ahead and made it. So, so for people that don't have that, are unable to really surround themselves. We get, maybe they're surrounded by bad people. Yeah. How do they get out of that rut and and overcome the way you were able to overcome? Well, you you just listed some very good pillars of a great foundation, a foundation that leads to success. And you talk about, you know, read or write something every day. You talk about surrounding yourself with good people. There's There's a formula for success that if you do this in the correct way, odds are you're going to be a success if you put in the work. Now, how do you get to a place um, where you're doing it kind of on your own? And I'll tell you, I did have some amazing people in my life, but when I was going through this early on, I was kind of embarrassed to tell people what was happening. I didn't really tell anybody that I was getting laughed at or that I was you know, I went into the bathroom and dumped water all over myself to try to make way so I wouldn't get, I mean, I didn't, that's embarrassing. Stuff. People would never know that. They see you jumping over this player to get to a quarterback. I'm thinking, I can't do that in the bedroom. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a superstar athlete doing that full pad. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. So people don't hear this side of it that, yeah, there is a side that, yeah, I've been there too. And so I'm, I'm glad you're kind of speaking to that. Yes, if you look at this guy who's flying over a uh, Hall of Fame running back in the air, this is a guy who was told not to try this. And this was the guy who, again, yes, would get laughed at and had to run to eat with his food. So you don't really, I mean, the picture speak tells the story for itself, right? I don't have to, you know, brag too much about what I accomplished. I, I really, I don't like doing that. I don't, I never liked saying, you know, this is what we accomplished faster than anybody else. Um, I was always the underdog. I always respected underdogs. I always looked for mentors who were huge underdogs. Uh, when I got to Arizona, Kurt Warner was one of the guys who, I gravitated towards naturally because of his underdog story. I mean, for everybody listening, if you don't know his story, you could watch his movie. I think it's on Netflix, The American yeah. Dream or The American Underdog, one of those. 
his stories on Netflix. I don't think they did a great job of telling it. But the bottom line is this. The guy went from an overnight grocery stock boy to two years later, Super Bowl MVP. I mean, you can't write that in a script because people wouldn't believe it. And this is somebody who I was able to be on, you know, a team with, be able to build a friendship with. Um, could you imagine the guy at the, your local grocery store saying, hey, one day I'm going to be not only an NFL quarterback, but I'm going to be a, a Super Bowl MVP. I mean, it would just sound ridiculous. I mean, who would take that person serious, right? But if somebody can overcome that, if they can have that kind of mental capacity, and me being, like you said, surrounding yourself with great people, I've got to get and ask him those questions. I've got to be around that. I've got to hear his conversations. I got to hear how he carries himself, not only at work, but outside of work. And another guy who had amazing uh, inner dialogue, amazing drive because he had a vision. Uh, and the reason we were able to get to a point where we went from, you know, laughing stock to this point where we're celebrating in Arizona is because of uh, Kurt and I sitting down and coming up with a vision for the Arizona Cardinals for that next year. And when we we crafted that, we knew the power it had. We knew how fast it was. Uh, being able to happen. And we found ourselves in the Super Bowl. So when I tell people, it's like, look, I'm not telling you what I researched in books. You know, I'm not some professor sitting up here talking about what other people have done and I'm just reporting it. This is part of not only what I come from, but my life at the highest level that you can get to. So if you can hear all this and you don't sit down and do those 300 seconds, then you need more reminders. You need to be around more positive people to really give you that belief in yourself that not only do I believe in you, but you deserve this in your life also. Everybody is born with great gifts, different abilities and intelligences and genius in different areas of your life. So one of the things I invite you to explore is, yes, do those pillars that Dr. Uh, Jason talked about and that I talked about today. If you can write, read or write something every day, you continuously work on yourself. You're looking to learn new things, master your craft, surround yourself with different people in your field, outside of your field that has gone through it. In my case, I looked for the underdogs because that's who I related to the most. If you could find that and I'm building that, um, I'm actually getting ready to launch my membership site, um, davidholloway.com slash membership that where I'm building, I'm going live every month and building that community uh, virtually. So another place you could go to if you just feel stuck, um, I invite you inside my huddle. That's what it's called, inside the Holloway huddle, where we take emotion out, we take a lot of judgment out, and we sit down as a community and we figure out how we're going to help each other win. And it's a great checkpoint. Because if you can come to a place where every month, boom, you're getting a checkpoint of, okay, here's what we talked about before, where are you at? Here's what we're going to talk about this month. And next month, there's going to be a reminder in the beginning of where you should be at. So you're getting these monthly checkpoints of you know keeping track because eventually you've got to have some kind of metrics to measure yourself. 
So many people say, oh, well, I'll work on that or I'm working on myself. Okay, where, what are your numbers? Just like in sales, you can't just go up to your boss and say, oh, I'm working on my number. You got to show them the reports. You got to show them the numbers, the sales. Same thing in personal development. Um, and really inside the Holloway huddle and what I'm going to be all about is really getting people to adopt personal development, personal growth as a lifestyle. So it's something that just like waking up and breathing, taking a shower, hopefully going to the gym, getting exercise, it becomes a lifestyle because I feel like in this life, not only are you honoring life by becoming the best you can, you're also able to give and share with a higher capacity to all those people around you to those who are looking up to you, to those in your family, friends, your all your networks. When you skill and level up in your communication and your relationships and your leadership ability, man, you just become such a, uh, not only role model, but somebody that people can model after, you know, after and continue to be another one of your soldiers as you become a giant for those who now are going to, in the future, stand on your shoulders. And I believe we honor all those giants that came before us, all the you know generations uncounted that allowed us to be here in this moment, living this lifestyle with the opportunities that we have. If we're not giving everything we have back to, as Les Brown says, this thing called life, if we're not giving back to that, I don't feel like we're honoring them the way that we should be. I feel like that's almost a disservice to all those who came before us. That's just my personal philosophy that, you know, I think really, if you think about all those people that helped you get where you are um, and you drop to the heart space, you get emotional about it because there's so many people that, we're able, this isn't just me doing this. This is so many people that invested time, love, energy, uh, wisdom, uh, mental tricks. Uh, they invested part of their lives into me. That is how I was able to do that. And my job, part of my journey, part of my mission now in life, my new vision is to help share and spread that as far as I can uh, while I'm still here. Because life is funny and there's universal laws in life. And one of them, and in sports, you hear this all the time, that uh, father time is undefeated because that clock ticks. And no matter how much money you have, you can't buy time back. And I also want to live a life with the least amount of regrets. And part of that is living and being on the field in life versus in the stands of life. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, David Holloway. Um, David, this has been um, truly motivational. You know, it's inspirational for sure. Emotionally touching all those things. Um, you're, you're on stages with crowds like crazy. So I truly appreciate the time you took to speak to this audience. And any last minute, last uh, last thoughts for our viewers out there? 
Last thoughts. I um, I thought you might ask that, so I wrote it down here. <laughs> and last thoughts. Let's see. Final words. Spend time with your vision, number one. 300 seconds. Uh, I'm challenging you on that. If you join the huddle, I'm going to ask you about <clears> it. <throat> um, number two, don't forget the giants that we stand on. They they are your story, and you are their story, and it's very important that you keep them in mind. I I I love that so much because it's just a universal truth that that they're part of our story, and we honor them by how we live ours. So spend time with your vision. Never forget those who came before you. Um, let's see what else I put on here. Uh, another one lately, when the pandemic reminded me of this, get out in nature and start doing things as hobbies that you enjoyed to do as a kid. I don't care how old you are. Uh, there are certain things you did as a kid as hobbies that's fun. Playing an instrument, doodling or drawing, some kind of artwork. For me, I always love riding bikes. When the pandemic hit and the gyms closed, Man, I fell back in love with riding bike and, uh, bikes and cycling and getting other people involved and joining different groups with, with me. There's a thing, uh, I think it's in uh, Japan, called tree bathing, where people will, uh, they feel like if they get out in nature, um, they get, it's easier to drop into the heart space and just get reminded of all the things going on around you that are going to happen, uh, that happen before, during, and after you're here, and to kind of gets you out of your bubble, if you will. Um, so spend time in nature, whether that's going on a walk, bike ride, get out in nature. And again, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be, you know, hours, five, 10 minutes. If you start incorporating those things in your life, spending time with your vision, remembering again, you know, thanking those who came before you daily and getting out in nature, um, the quality of life is going to dramatically increase. Your clarity is going to increase. Your appreciation and your presence in this thing called life, as Wes Brown said, is going to be elevated. And therefore, my friends, you're elevating those around you, those who are counting on you and honoring all those who came before you. And we only have one shot in life. Give life everything. You have. I remember this one quote, I forget who said it, but at the end of life, the end of my time, I don't want to be worn out, you know, from being in the stands. I want to, no, I don't want to rust out from being in the stands. I want to be worn out from giving life everything I have with little regrets as possible. Um, I think that's the, the way that you will increase the quality of life that you deserve and that those around you deserve and those before when you know when and if you ever get to see them again i don't know if, you know where your um religious ties are but if you do get to see them again i feel like they will give you that nod of approval and be happy that the story and legacy is continued on david thanks again so much uh folks please go to his website www david holloway.com join in the huddle 
Also, you'll see videos, topics, speaking topics, and just a wonderful story. David, thanks again for being on. Appreciate it. Very, very welcome, Dr. J. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thank you. This podcast is powered by Pivotal Moments Media. Check out our education, content, and more at pivotalmomentsmedia.com.